Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card, going down at the Apex facility under a blanket of secrecy and deception this weekend in las vegas nevada have you heard anything about that no i just was just saying i just have a sort of afghan on my lap okay yeah you're also under a blanket which and if you want to say it's of secrecy and deception i guess that depends on what you think is happening under this blanket but you know i was not going to go there but huh you i knew you couldn't i I knew you couldn't (laughs) refuse so that's it, right? There's some kind of weird media ban or something happening around they, this event? They are having no audience and no media, which okay. means that uh, some super rich person has effectively rented out the UFC for mm. a weekend. Oh my God, if Donald Trump shows up at the event, that'd be so sick. <laughs> He's my favorite president, Zane. Oh, Lord. I mean... Why would you have a favorite president? <laughs> well, I collect them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, is that what it means? That seems like I mean, they could be Trump. There's also a lot of rumors that it's like Zuckerberg or somebody. It's just somebody really rich. I don't know. Are we sure that a rich person rented out the event, though? What else would it be? I don't know. Could be anything. Maybe, maybe like. It's the UFC. It's gonna be money. Like maybe that's... like fifty percent of the brass have COVID, and they're like they don't want to like no, no. create a story by spreading it. But they're also like we're not stopping events for that anymore. No, they, they don't care. They're not gonna. They're not gonna stop. They're not gonna refuse ticket sales over COVID. Maybe it's um, part of the instructions from Dana White's thirty thousand dollar a visit doctor who told him yes. he had exactly ten point four years left to live. Yes. Maybe I think that's that, why. I think it's just it's some rich person. It's, yeah. I mean, the UFC's all like, you know, if it were, you know, some Saudi sheik or something like that, they're, they're going to Oh, for do sure. It. It's for sale, no doubt. Yeah, it's for sale. There's no, and there's no other reason I can think of that they would, you know, if it's not a government mandated, you can't have an audience, which it's not. Um, I can't think of any other reason other than money that they would ever turn down the attention or the audience. We'll see, I guess. Yeah. I mean, especially it's got to be something like that because uh, Dana White was out there like bold faced lying to the media in a way that he doesn't actually tend to do that much as much as people think he tends to do. Where he was just like somebody asked him about it. And he's like, "Oh, we just wanted to give you guys a day off. You work so hard." You know how and, much we love the media. Yeah, he even added that. <laughs> and like, that's good. You know, Dana White. He he has he he has stories and uh, misremembrances and aggrandizements and things that twist the the truth or overrun it but the actual times that he will just come out straight up and just lie in a way that is clearly just like 
I don't even believe a word I'm saying, but I'm yeah. saying it to you. Yeah. It actually doesn't happen that often. Okay, well, who knew the uh, host of the vivisection was a shell? Yeah, I know. I know. Classic Dana shell over here. That's right. But uh, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. I'm, I'm yeah. not going to speculate because I have no idea. How yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't. Already yeah. did speculate. Well, whatever. You're not going to speculate. You just did. I mean, I, I think I can be pretty certain that it's somebody renting it out. Like that's you speculating. It, oh, it, well, yeah, but that's that's just a smart. That's a smart. This speculate. is outrageous. This is why Dan is absolutely right about journalism today. This is what yes. they do. It's right. It's right. It's all just lies. And so, what about these, these fights? Clicks. I'm doing it for the clicks, Connor. <laughs> all you people these? start clicking on the podcast uh, platform or the YouTube video. Just start it and stop it and start it and stop it and start it and stop it like five or ten times. This is all okay. for the clicks and the engagement. Yeah, stop it, especially when Zane is speaking. <laughs> I'll have a better experience. So what is this card that uh, only uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is allowed to watch? It's uh, it's an okay fight night card. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I Most. would say it's 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 weird. It is it's, one of those events where like most of the fights are, at most half good. It it's a it's a if nothing else, it's a card without a main event. Yeah, but if but, you look at it, it's like they did pick the right one. Yes. Like nothing else on here is a main event. Yeah. Dern Yanon is actually a fight where Dern could earn herself a title shot. Yeah. So it has, like, I can't argue against doing this because I am also the person who would then argue, like, you should really give, if you want somebody to be a title contender, you should A, give them five round bouts and B, put them in headline positions before they are asked to be on a pay-per-view yeah pulling a pay-per-view and trying to you know deliver pay-per-view numbers <clears throat> and Dern is certainly somebody with you know she's got a little celebrity in the UFC it's not I don't think she's any kind of sales force for the UFC but she at least is a bit notable mm -hmm. and um that's fine it's just it's not a uh It doesn't feel like a fight with a lot of, I don't know, narrative to it that I'm fascinated by. No, well, I suppose we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Let's get into it now. Yes, in fact, why not? Mackenzie Dern, Yan Shaonan. Um, I think it's actually a pretty cool fight. I mean, it's 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 just sort of defined by the dynamic of basically every Mackenzie Dern fight. Yeah, which is like. Chances seem pretty good that she'll find an impressive way to win if she tries. Mm-hmm. She wants she to grapple. Well, if she tries to win, not just tries hard. She always tries True. hard. Yeah. Sometimes she's trying hard and losing <laughs> because she's not making any good strategic decisions. Yeah. Um, other than just trying to flex her striking that somehow, like, despite, I think, being under Jason Perillo for, like, four years now, has just not gotten better. She's got a serious case of Ben Askrenitis. Yes. She's very awkward on the feed. I mean, I guess unlike Ben, she does appear to like have some power because God knows yeah. she she chucks every ounce of weight she has into those punches. But yes. um, yeah, she's just an incredibly awkward striker. 
but she has a um she has a a a, a bit of that I don't know um Olivera Condit classic action fighter thing where she's she can feel free to go forward and take huge risks and make a ton of mistakes on the feet because any amount of wild chaos could lead to a scramble, could lead to a chance to jump for a submission, to yeah. jump on the back. Um, basically, she would be like a t- three times as good a fighter if she could wrestle. Mm-hmm. Because even when she's fighting well, like fighting with a mind uh, to create those opportunities to do the thing she's to transform the fight into a phase where she's actually very good. Um, she's still like, they're hardly ever her hitting takedowns on her opponent. Yeah. Um, now that might happen on Yan Xiaonan. God knows she got completely out wrestled by Carla Esparza. Mm-hmm. She's not a very physical fighter. No, I mean, I, I think she's decently physical. I just don't think she looked like she had very good technical <laughs> wrestling. I mean, yeah, that's that um, too. But um, even then, like, it, it really does still feel like it's got to be the chaos. Because what we, we have seen from Yan Shonan is a pretty functional, well-rounded MMA striking game. Yeah, she, she knows how to be busy, and she knows how to be consistent. Yeah, and she's constantly moving her feet mm-hmm. um, and trying to stay at the right distance and picking her spots to strike, either, um, you know, stepping in and landing a few before getting out or letting the opponent come to her and interrupting them and then getting out. She did that over and over and over to Marina Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And uh, as for as long as this fight looks like that version of Rodriguez, which frankly didn't look that much better than Mackenzie Dern, mm-hmm. just sort of following Jan around and swinging huge loaded hooks at her. Um, Jan Shannon is going to look good and will be winning. Yeah. Like I think, if this is a fight where Mackenzie Dern either does not create grappling sequences or by some chance just can't convert them into finishes, um, she's going to lose. I actually, in review, uh, and it was so close that I might change this opinion next time I watch, so I'm not going to fight too hard about this, but mm-hmm. I, I did think that Jan actually beat Rodriguez. Um the very least, she made the fight extremely competitive all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, was a, it was a close fight. Yeah. And so um, I think she could do exactly the same stuff against a smaller, less skilled striker and rack up tons of points. I'm just expecting some crazy thing to happen where she, where Dern catches a kick or just crashes into a clinch and, again, like jumps for an armbar mm-hmm. triangle or jumps on the back and just forces on into a position where she like she didn't have to out wrestle Tisha Torres to make her grapple for her life. Yeah. She and didn't. I'm not confident that Yan Xiaonan can uh can can like flex her way out of a, a, a jumping arm bar like that. Yeah. That's a very I, Tisha Torres thing to do. <laughs> it is. It's also a thing where for me with Yan Xiaonan, one of the things that I think is generally defined her career to the, to date is that she tends to she tends to be a fighter who kind of needs to be able to do everything mm-hmm. 
Like she needs to be able to put a pace on you and she needs to be able to, uh, you know, have uh, grappling exchanges go well. She needs to be able to, to clinch up with somebody and have the fight not feel like it's about to slip away from her. Yeah. And it was a really, you know, I think it says a lot about her fight with Carla Esparza that, you know, it was kind of like the first fighter who could really take that away from her just broke her game mm-hmm. badly. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, no, you can't afford to clinch up with me. You can't afford to get into wrestling exchanges with me. Right. And in turn, it made her less successful in striking exchanges, too, like which is a mm-hmm. classic part of the MMA dynamic. But still, like to, to see it. Yeah, because John, uh, her form isn't awful, but it's not clean on her striking. It's much more about the yeah. consistency of delivery and the output. Yeah. And, and positioning, too, like having yeah. the right timing, the right distance. Um, I, I, this, again, this, this sort of, uh, sell, spells out how this fight could go if Dern just makes terrible decisions. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of Amanda Hebush. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in the striking because Hebush has the advantage of being a better wrestler, but, um, yeah, like Hebush has the same thing where you see her against Dern and if she can shut out the grappling, then just having this like incredibly obvious moving target coming into her strikes over and over she looked like a beast true and uh but then you watch her like either having more of her game tested or just being tested to a depth in any particular area and she doesn't look so good yeah yeah i agree jan is is definitely like that well i think for me i have to pick dern based on that yeah i just i think she has figured out she she knows that most people, and to date she's been right, that people aren't going to knock her out at this yeah. in this weight class. You know, Marina Rodriguez, Rodriguez and Amanda Hebish may have hurt her and may have made her pay for wild aggression, but they didn't knock her out. And it's not likely, you know, Yan Zhao Nan is not at all likely to, to make that happen. No. As an extension, she's, you know, she's less powerful than either of them. She's part of her movement and her consistency is that she's on her bike while she's throwing a lot. She's not sitting down and putting a lot of power on her strikes. It would be sick if she just went like Drew Dober 2.0 mode. (laughs) Just turned into a pressure, (laughs) pressuring power puncher. Again, I do think she's respectably physical. She might very well hit a lot harder than it appears. In fact, she landed some pretty thudding blows on Rodriguez when she decided to meet her in the pocket. Yeah. She landed some nasty looking left hooks, um, like right mid exchange when she had her feet planted, but it's, it's her style that usually doesn't happen. And this doesn't seem like the fight where it would be wise to let that happen. Yeah. So stay away. If Dern's going to feel confident that she can just, press forward and be wild she can cover enough ground and she's crazy enough that yeah. she, she doesn't check herself so you you know it's yeah Jeanon might have a good idea of spacing and timing and getting circling away and things like that but even against marina rodriguez she found herself in the clinch a lot 
when Rodriguez just decided to really step forward and meet her, they clinched up and ended up tied up together. Dare I repeat the same stupid joke I've already made on heavy hands? I can't imagine how you would get any other material. <laughs> I said, uh, I said, Mackenzie Dern is less Charles Oliveira, more Charles all over the place. <laughs> but that's what I mean with that comparison. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. She, she is fearless. And until somebody actually sleeps her, she is going to continue just inviting chaos, forcing yeah. chaos. And I don't think that Zhaonan is clean enough to just avoid exactly, yeah. a chaotic opponent. And if she's and, not going to finish her, then yeah, she's going to have to either fight flawlessly. And and I and I I think Yan Zhaonan will continue to improve. I mean, yeah, I sure. She looked great against Rodriguez, better uh-huh. than she has. And um, yeah, it looked like she trained some very specific things. But she's going to have to fight perfectly or get lucky on several key occasions. Yeah. And that, that just seems like too much wiggle room for Mackenzie Dern, given that there is one phase of this fight in which she is just better than everyone. Yeah. And when Janon tends to get pressed hard, her, her, you know, her go-to is to try and out physical her opponent. Like I say, that's yeah part of what made the Carla Esparza fight fail so spectacularly. Yeah. Is that she's used to being able to be like, okay, well I can step in and I can create a scramble i can shoot a takedown myself and i can make i can turn the tide of this fight with my own wrestling and my own grappling and my own physicality and it just you know dern is you know sure uh tisha torres proved that dern doesn't just automatically submit you every time she gets you down yeah but she still, you know, she still wins. If you give her takedowns and if you let her grapple you up, she still tends to win those fights. Those tend yeah. to be, it's not a good way to beat T- uh, Mackenzie Dern. And, um, you know, unlike uh, Tisha Torres, Janon has been submitted before. So, yeah. It is funny it's funny that we have de- like more than a decade, but we have three notable um, Chinese women fighters in the UFC um, whose styles bear a lot of similarity to each other, mm-hmm. but who just exist on this really obvious sliding scale of physicality. Yeah. Like Weili Zhang at one end, Wu Yanan at the other, and Yan Shanan sits squarely in the middle. Liang Na as well, but we haven't seen enough of her to really right, right, right. get a feel for She She definitely likes to grapple more than the others. Yeah, yeah. But they're all like, you know, wheeling yeah. grapplers, um, lots of movement, walking people into combinations. But you just see the extent to which physicality matters yeah. if you compare those three approaches. And and sometimes it works for Jan, and uh, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. So I got to pick Mackenzie Dern here. Yeah, I'm with you. Odds makers have Dern as a sizable favorite, open at minus 185, dropped to minus 200, and is currently at minus 234. Jean-Nan opened at plus 160, is currently up at plus 188. That seems reasonable. Jean-Nan is tough. She's good. She's consistent. If she can stay on her feet, she mm-hmm. has everything she needs to win this fight. Like I said, there these matchups where I say someone has to get very lucky or fight perfectly, Yeah, it's MMA. Like, 
both of those things do happen when you don't expect them. And it's also the fact that Mackenzie Dern, she's, she's Charles all over the place. She's a mess. She might make terrible decisions. We've yeah. seen her do it before. She, she could easily, this could easily just be the fight where she lunges in face first, eats a hook and goes down and that's it. Sure. Hey man, if Jan lands that left hook, she landed at the very end of round three against Rodriguez. Who knows? That could be the yeah. chin cracker. It was a yeah. serious punch. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout, Francisco Trinaldo, Randy Brown. Mm-hmm. And clearly a fight booked for the comical size disparity. Yeah, comical right. size disparity. And comical, like, attitude disparity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Randy Brown is one of those guys, like, you see him for... 10, 20, 30 seconds at a time, you're like, wow, this is an Next elite. Yeah, this is an elite welterweight. Yeah. Like, this dude is so fast and so slick, and he's crafty. He's yeah. mindful of his defense. He gets in and out from range. He knows how to fight long, and he knows how to fight tall. Like, he can he can fight in the clinch. Yeah. Well as strike. Like, oh, my God, this guy can do everything. And then he... And then you realize that he has to do everything. <laughs> yeah. He has to do everything, and every moment of success can be compounded, can be buttressed by a moment of complete failure. Yeah. Like, he's being slick in the pocket, he's landing a hook and ducking out and sliding out of range and all that, and then somebody just walks in and hits him with a one-two, and suddenly he's on the mat, and you're like... Yeah. That, like, how did... How did you go from being that that mindful and that prepared to that totally unprepared for the most predictable thing? Yeah. Randy Brown is Randy Brown's own worst enemy. And, yeah. And it is a it is a I didn't actually think of it in those terms, but like, yeah, Trinaldo is such a meat and potatoes. Yeah, you have to beat Francisco Trinaldo. Yeah. He's, he's not, not going to go him. out there and beat himself. Exactly. Yeah, very well said. He doesn't take a lot of big risks. He doesn't make a lot of big mistakes. He hits well on the counter. He will, you know, he's a surprisingly crafty kickboxer and has been for years in ways that, like, he doesn't throw a lot. But when he does and when he sits down on something, it's often the right thing. Yeah, it's just two completely different conceptions of what it means to be crafty. Yeah. Or rather... Randy Brown is tricky. Yes, Randy Brown is tricky. Francisco Trinaldo is crafty. There are no cheap tricks in Trinaldo's game. There are no yeah. moves where it's like, uh, I'm going to make this, and if it works, it's going to work great. But if it fails, it's going to fail catastrophically. Yeah. He's not a he's not a gambit fighter. Mm-mm. He's out there making good principle moves, throwing good punches, set up by his defense, using feints, understanding rhythm and distance and timing. And how all of these less tangible things can make what is essentially a three-punch arsenal confusing to deal with. Yeah. And Randy Brown is out there like, I sort of understand some of the intricacies of all of these things, but my idea is to do all the things all the time, and that's what surprises and confuses you. Yeah. It's just way more holes. Yeah. And it's, it's this is also compounded by the fact that Brown seems very... He's he's he doesn't lack durability, even though he's been knocked out a couple times. Those tended to be in you know pretty hard, yeah, weird fights. 
but he definitely there's a feeling that he can get like because he's so wild and lanky he can get hurt kind of easily yeah i think he also he just gets so caught up in whatever he's trying to do he just gets surprised yeah he gets surprised but also just like that fight he had with with chaos williams it just felt like you know like there was something wrong with his foot all of a sudden was or was that even that fight where he kept stepping on his own foot to like get something back or was that jared good now was a jared good i think fight. it was the good fight yeah but in the williams fight too it just felt like suddenly he just got hurt somehow like he just seems to be a fighter who like yeah is in constant danger of having something break yeah because he was either 50 percent just schooling chaos williams from range and then 50 percent trying to be cuter than he needed to be and yeah getting stung that makes this a really weird fight because yeah, it does i think there's going to be serious stretches where francisco trinaldo just gets tuned up yeah like just a, a distance of this fight for trinaldo yep where he is just getting picked off has distance no and pace yeah and a pace you know like uh even if I'm remembering correctly, let me see. Yeah, like even Muslim Salikov was able to just go out and like put a pace yep. on Francisco Trinaldo. Double up on him for James Vick strike. put a pace on Trinaldo from range. Yeah. Couldn't actually overcome. So that's a they, far more fragile, less consistent fighter than Randy. Yeah. So there there is gonna be a large stretch of this fight where I think Brown is just absolutely working Trinaldo and then there's going to be points where he might just get hit with something and you're just like oh my god is like is he about to get knocked out is he about to lose is he can he keep this up is Trinaldo gonna just steal this fight away from him I'm gonna pick Randy Brown yeah uh I think the the size the speed at some point the youth like the Trinaldo is 44. I realize that he has been, he's an earth elemental and has been dug out from yeah. deep under, you know, in the furthest depths of some mine somewhere. He's, he's been 44 for at least the past 300 years. Yes. But at Even some so. point. <laughs> at some point, the clay's got to crack, right? Right. It has to. And yeah, I think that Brown is going to be just a little too fast and surprising. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, if it's a it's a winnable fight for Trinaldo, and if he goes out there and wins it, I'm gonna love watching that because, mm-hmm. dude, is he, you know, it it is the the definition of wily veteran craft. He and Jim Miller are just out there like showing what it means to have like a really basic game you're really confident in. Yeah. For years. Yeah. Oh, I love uh, I, I co-signed pretty much all of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I, I think um, Trinaldo is going to be in, somewhat like the main event, but it, honestly, perhaps more extremely. I think Trinaldo is going to be losing badly at many points of this fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he's just a really resourceful fighter who's very tough to finish. He, he, like Randy Brown, is not immune to getting hurt. It happens yeah. pretty often. Yeah. Um, but actually, like, converting that kind of success, like, say you hurt him in the first round, converting that to a win is has never been easy. No. Um, he still makes these fights, whether it's Salikov or James Vick 
um, Kevin Lee. Like he still makes all these fights intensely competitive. Yeah. Um, honestly, like there are more fights where Ronaldo doesn't get into trouble, and so his win is like unimpressive and dull. Then there are fights where he does get into trouble and his opponent just easily beats him. Yeah. Very tough guy to actually just go out there and beat. And uh, that does seem like a perfect opportunity for Randy Brown to just catastrophically screw up. Yeah. Like he'll be out there and he'll be looking slick and he'll be moving and sliding around and then he'll just like not be paying attention and get hit with like a, a massive overhand. Yeah. That rattles him. And even if he doesn't get knocked out because Trinaldo doesn't throw often enough to knock people out. Right. Be the kind of stuff where suddenly you're just like, well, I got to give that round to Trinaldo. Right. And then yeah. maybe he hits a takedown later in a round, in the next round, and spends half the round on top of Randy Brown just yeah. muscling him around. And you're like, well, he might have got that one too. Yeah, that's going to be how he wins. But that also sounds a little too much like that fight Brown just won against Chaos Williams. Yeah, it like does. You're going to hurt Randy Brown, and we know that's possible. And Trinaldo. He hurts way more people than he finishes. Yeah. As often as uh, he gets rattled by his opponents, he tends to rock most people he fights at least once. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to do that and not turn that into an actual definitive win, then Randy Brown has already proven more than once that he's going to go out there and get back to basics for a bit. And yeah, um, he doesn't get shaken. He's no, still out he's... There willing to try everything. And he has so many innate physical advantages here. Yeah. That I just have to pick Brown. All makes sense to me. Trinaldo is the underdog here, opened at plus 195, currently up at plus 249. Randy Brown opened at minus 230, currently down at minus 314. That's getting a little wide mm-hmm. on somebody who has been knocked out twice and just like low kicked by Bilal Muhammad for three rounds to a loss and even taken down submitted. Yeah. Like there are a lot of ways to beat Randy Brown. Yeah. And Trinaldo, even up a weight class remains fast and powerful and crafty. Yep. He's a classy fighter. And we saw too, like, you know, that fight with Jai Herbert where, yeah, you know, that was, pretty recent and Herbert came out and put it on Trinaldo early had it looking like Trinaldo was absolutely done and Trinaldo just battled back and broke him. That's what I mean, man. You, you, yeah. Trinaldo is definitely a fighter who responds in kind. Yeah. The work you do to actually like try to remove him from the fight, the harder he fights back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, it's actually, it's a very compelling matchup. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a bantamweight bout. Honey Barcelos, Trevin Jones. Uh, Barcelos. Yeah, yeah. They finally gave the boy one where it's like, yeah, he's going to win. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Trevin, it, it's. I mean, I, I wish better for Trevin Jones because... Mm-hmm. He has spent years building a very solid MMA game, a very rugged, capable, functional, not bad anywhere MMA game. Not an easy fighter to out-wrestle, not an easy fighter to submit or break down, 
not an easy fighter to just trade strikes with. He's capable. But it's also a, it's a game that was always predicated on regional MMA. Yeah. It's, but he, he, you know, it's, it's the unfortunate part of building, you know, building somebody up slow on a regional scene where he spent all this time in Pacific extreme combat. Um, is that they don't, you don't necessarily get fighters who are developing the modern meta because they don't have to, they're physical enough. They're strong enough. They're talented enough that yeah, they can, you know, they can get a lot of wins without having to meet the, the fast-paced version of MMA that is pretty much permeating everything. Uh, and I, I wouldn't even necessarily frame it in those terms because not everyone should have the same style. No, like, no, they shouldn't. They're in every division. There is like a sort of unique um, meta. Yeah. Um, and in ev- each one of those divisions, there are really notable fighters who succeed speci- precisely because they work around it. Or, or yeah find some avenue that the the, the sort of metagame is overlooked. And but Trevin that, that's also, Jones not that. Yeah, he is to an extent, but to a very, this works better on the regional scene extent. Because yeah. His, his main problem, like I, I think we, we actually are continuing to see our counterpunchers and outfighters developing up from the regionals, specifically because everyone's out there just recklessly throwing volume. Yeah. No, and, I mean, there, there is, you know, that... There is a Colby Covingtonification yes. as part of the volume movement where there are a lot of fighters who aren't good strikers at all who are just like, well, I'm going to throw a lot because throwing a lot is the what the thing to do. Yeah. And it does give technicians who Absolutely. have a good eye for counterpunching. Look, look at the octagon and all yeah. the other cages that are modeled on it. There's no corners. Yeah. It's huge. It's an, it should be an outfighter's paradise. And the yep. more reckless and aggressive everyone gets, the more incentive there has been in the last few years for people to work around that and, yeah. and, um, and use the space and the time that they're given and, and learn to move their feet better. And um, yeah, Trevin Jones, to, to that extent, is like his style makes a lot of sense, but it's whatever it is, his level of competition, his personality he has developed into a far too opportunistic version of yeah. that kind of fighter. Yeah. Where if he doesn't get his opportunities, he does precious little to actually win the rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still need to do that. Like you don't need to be a high output fighter. You can walk people onto your strikes and stay away from theirs, but you still got to win the rounds. Yeah. And that's, and, that's who Harney Barcelos is. Absolutely. Like, yeah, he lands big counter shots, too, but he matches it with a lot of pressure Yep. that forces fighters to have to try to throw and keep him off. Yep. And if definitive takedowns. Yeah. um, There's just a lot of avenues he can go down to just bank around. Yeah. um, He's also a very good athlete. He's probably going to get rocked at one point by Trevin Jones. Yeah, there's there's an unfortunate problem for Barcelos that, you know, it's the MMA pressure fighters woe that most of them are just not very good defensive fighters, most yeah. MMA fighters. And so he's walking Barcelos. He's, he's always walking forward and he's always create, trying to create his own opportunities, which means that he's always walking on to something. You know. And 
if you you need a more fragile or less physical, less complete opponent, like Jones used to get on the regional circuits. Yeah. To to make that a consistent winning process. And we've already seen that. I mean, two losses in a row. He lost every second of the Timor Valia fight except for when he knocked Valia out. Yep. Um, and that is just not a uh, an easily reproducible path to victory at this level. Yeah, especially when you have one of the few, you know, opponents he's going to have faced so far. Well, I'm, you know, there's Kakramanov as well, I suppose, but he's got somebody in front of him who is just as strong, he was strong enough to bully him. Absolutely, yeah. Because, you know, that's one of the things in Jones's corner is that he's a, he's a pretty big, you know, strong physical specimen. Mm-hmm. And so he can handle a lot, but mm-hmm. Barcelos is also that dude and is a more practiced wrestler, so. Yeah. And, and even just in the striking realm, like Barcelos looked considerably more impressive losing uh, decisively to Victor Henry mm-hmm. than Trevin Jones did beating Timor Valiev. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And Bar- that, that loss to, to Valiev for Barcelos was eh, really suspicious. questionable. Yes. Really questionable. Yeah. So. You, you can, you can kind of get it, but also it's like it doesn't it shouldn't do much to diminish his stock. He no. still looked good. He looked like Ani Barcelos. Yeah, and the, the the fight against Henry was like, I mean, it was mostly a testament to Henry's toughness. And because, Henry's skill. I mean, he and, just and went his, out there and yeah. fought a brilliant fight. He fought a brilliant fight. He threw, and he threw a ton, and he ate a ton, is the thing. That too, like, yeah. You know, it's not like Barcelos didn't get his shots off. It's just Victor Henry had the fight of his career. Like, yeah. a perfect, battled, just hard-nosed, volume-heavy, crafty performance for Victor Henry that, you know, Trevin Jones is not going to go out there and throw what, let's see, Hani Barcelos, Victor Henry, not going to go out there and throw 352 strikes in three rounds. Yeah. I mean, it was in 397 total. Almost 400 strikes in three rounds from Victor Henry. Yeah. And, like, Barcelos even, he landed 134 significant mm-hmm. strikes of his own in that fight. It was, like I say, it is a testament on multiple levels to a fight that Victor Henry was perfectly poised for and nobody expected, and that Trevin Jones is not per- you know, he's not prepared to bring that fight. So, uh, odds on the bout. Barcelos is a sizable favorite. Open at minus 280, jumped up to minus 190, and is currently back down at minus 234. Randy Brown opened at, my, oops, I'm all over the place. Trevin Jones <laughs> opened at plus 240, dropped down to plus 150, and is currently up at plus 188. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it makes sense for that line to get a little wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, as you say, there'll be a chance for Trevin Jones to hurt Barcelos somewhere in there. But uh, we haven't seen Barcelos get finished other than a submission early in his career to Mark Dickman. And if Trevin Jones doesn't finish him, it's really hard to see what the path for a Trevin Jones victory is. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Sadiq Youssef 
Don Shanus. Don Shanus is just a great name to say. It is. Don Shanus. Don Shameless Shanus. Yeah, Shameless Don Shanus, I believe. What? Yeah, Shameless Don Shanus. Okay, all right, that works, that works. Okay, okay. Say it a third time. (laughs) Yeah, Shameless Don Shanus. Say it a fourth time. (laughs) No, No, I'm done. (laughs) I've appeased you. Don't get greedy. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting fight, actually. I mean, kind of. Uh-huh. I like Don Shanus's game. I think it's fun, and I think it'll be a good addition to the bantamweight division. But, um, he is probably, he might have some big success for a couple moments of big success against Sadiq Yusuf. I could actually see that pretty easily. Especially if Yusuf is overlooking him, and I would not be at all surprised if he was. Just, you know, Yusuf seems like a pretty confident dude, and a lot of those Team Lloyd Irvin fighters have uh, kind of worn uh, overconfidence on their sleeve. Yeah. Over the years, to the point that, you know, they don't necessarily fix or change their game at all as they progress or as they get, move on. You could argue Yusuf has progressed in some technical aspects. He's, yeah. Yeah. He seems to routinely underestimate how much craft would be required to actually just, like, decisively beat somebody. Yeah, like you had that fight against Alex Caceres, and we look at that on paper, and we're like, okay, Yusuf is hard to take down, he's hard to out-wrestle and out-grapple, and he hits like a truck, mm-hmm. and he pressure fights, and Alex Caceres will give him the exact fight he wants. Should be a pretty easy win for Sadiq Yusuf. He goes out there, and he ends up just chasing Alex Caceres for three rounds. He still beat him, mm-hmm. but it ended up being a way harder fight for him than it had to be just because he wasn't at all interested in trying to cut Caceres off or defend anything and you know just let Caceres slide out of the pocket every time he approached and hit him with something same thing against Ronald Allen except Allen actually beat him he got hurt almost instantly by Gabriel Benitez Andre Feely really went to war with him he had a war with, um, granted, one where he ended up looking more impressive, but he essentially just had to outlast Mike Davis in his yep. contender series fight. Like, this has been happening since he came to our attention, yeah. and he had, nothing has changed. Yeah, it really hasn't. And Don Shanus is a ball of muscle, and he throws really hard. Like, he will come out and start this fight swinging hammers at Sadiq Yusuf. So there's a chance for him to surprise him early, you know? That that sort of late replacement chance where if Yusuf is just like, oh, I'm just going to go out and this guy's not going to have anything for me. And Shanus can come out and just plug him one, you know? Yeah. Go full Chaos Williams, Alex Morono on him. And Shanus has a good power wrestling game and ground and pound game as well. But it is all coming from a guy who is five foot six. He really is. And... Uh, who also ha- is 
really like his winning style is predicated on his ability to hulk his opponents around. Mm-hmm. When he gets stranded on his feet, like uh, did briefly against uh, who was it? What's up? Against Brian Picard in his last bout. Mm-hmm. Picard just started to to dice him up standing. Just wreck him. And hurt him badly. And Shane has had to battle back and get the fight into the kind of you know, he had to battle back and assert his physicality on it to, to steer the steer the fight back in his favor. Um and he was able to. It's actually wildly he's been fighting it lightweight for most of his career mm-hmm. or like bouncing between light and featherweight for a dude that's five foot six yeah he's strong and he's clearly yeah. um not cutting like yeah it, it actually hasn't honestly been a uh an issue but uh, that often but when it when the fights have actually extended you can see i mean he's got the stamina to just keep his yeah. going as long as necessary he fights it's a lot there's, of intensity there's a lot of um Oh, who's the lightweight that never fights? Um, UFC's best fisherman. Oh, Gregor Gillespie. Yeah, it's a lot of Gregor Gillespie in his game. Yeah, except that Gillespie is a little more. Uh, his positions are a little more like transformative on the ground. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, Shaneus just like, and, and weirdly looking like. 2006 era Tito Ortiz, like he'd just mm-hmm. get somebody down and just stay in their guard forever. And also a lot of moments where I, I I've seen the I've seen the uh, the suggestion that his physicality might become more and more of a problem as he fights better competition. Like he in that Cody Fister's fight, he ended up on his back like two or three times. That ain't exactly the uh, world record holder for, like, best athlete in MMA. Yeah, and I remember they're talking about, too, in his fight with Chris Lencioni, that he, like, you know, he had, like, an elevator sweep against Cody Fister, and the the broadcaster was like, oh, and he hit that sweep, like, four times against Chris Lencioni, which also means that he ended up on his back in scrambles four times against Chris Lencioni. Yeah. And... I said, Sadiq Yusuf is a really tough dude to hold down. He is. He's he, a tough dude to get down at all. He's a tough dude to get down at all, and if you get him down, he's really hard to hold down. Yeah, you're not just going to rush him to the fence and and get a double and just drag his hips away Yeah. multiple times. Like, there's just not a lot of depth to Shanus's game. No. So, I, I got to pick Yusuf. I think Shanus has a great chance to come out and shock him in round sure. one. Sure. But if he doesn't, then I don't think that Shanus has, I don't think he's big enough to hulk Yusuf around. And then Yusuf is the much more, he's the much tighter puncher on the feet, the much more consistent fighter. The fighter who's better at, like, if things start going wrong, Yusuf can collect himself and keep striking. Where Shane is, if things start going wrong standing, he has to be able to out-wrestle somebody. Yeah. His his striking game falls apart fast if he starts getting hurt. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm going to pick Sadiq Yusuf, but I like Shanice. You know, I'd, like I said, I'd, I'd love to see him drop to Bantamweight. If he can shed the, if he can shed the weight, then Bantamweight seems like it'd be a really good fit for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Sadiq Yusuf um, stuffed four of seven takedowns from Andre Feely. Mm-hmm. A very, very good takedown artist. And um, was impossible to hold down. Yeah. The ones that actually did get through. Yeah. That's like, I think, this, this, the sternest test of his uh, defensive wrestling and grappling so far. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no problems. That was not the part of the fight that tested him. Trouble. No. Him. Um, so, yeah, there's no reason to think that that is a, a path to victory against Yusuf. There's also no reason to think that stinging him on the feet once is in itself a path to victory either. When that has happened, once against Benitez, he just stayed perfectly calm and knocked Benitez out. Yep. Um, and when it happened once against Arnold Allen, it was in the context of a fight where he was basically being outfoxed and outmaneuvered the rest of the time. Yep. Um, Shanus can't do either. He can't yeah. do either of those things. You, and we we remember that Mike Davis bout we talked about too, where yeah. like Davis is huge. Davis is six feet tall. Yeah. And they went to war. And it, Yusuf was just able to recollect himself every yeah. single time, every round, yeah. to make sure that he didn't fall behind in that fight. So I have a lot of faith in Yusuf, even if he's going to, even if he might over, or, you know, underestimate his opponent, even if he might get caught cold early, I have a lot of faith in his ability to then collect himself and fight back through bad spots. Mm-hmm. So. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think Shanus is a bad, you know, I think he's a good addition to the UFC. It'll just be, it just might not be at featherweight. We'll see, you know, he's, He's been fighting up at that division for a long time, so it may be a kind of thing where he's actually just too bulked up to cut down to uh, one one thirty five, and then it'll you know I'll be interested to see if, what he can do with more notice and a fuller camp, or if he can assert himself physically at this division at the UFC level. Mm-hmm. Odds on the bout, Yusuf is a massive favorite. Opened at minus 550, is currently down at minus 992. Shane is over to plus 420, is currently up at plus 631. Um, I guess, but sure. I mean, yeah, you get to a certain point, it's like, okay, they're wide, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, if you go beyond that, like, you're gonna quibble that actually he should only be a plus 300 dog, like, I don't know. Yeah, he should be a big, a big underdog. I suppose. I am just, I am getting worried about, I, we talk about like Sadiq Yusuf, the, the possibility of regression, the lack of improvement. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm starting to get a little concerned that. Oh, for sure. I he might be the kind time. of fighter. Yeah. He might start losing fights at a faster rate than makes sense for somebody who's been around as long. Yeah. Oh, for as little time as he has. I just don't think it's going to be Shainus. Yeah, probably I just, not. I just don't think he's, he's had, too many fights just go completely hit one way, and then the ones that haven't has a, a a very difficult path to victory he relies on to get back uh, in a winning yeah. position. Like, yeah, I just think we might see him 
try everything he knows in the first two minutes and then freak out because nothing's working. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a catchweight bout. John Castaneda, Daniel Santos, and this should be a wild scrap all the way through. Catchweight. Yeah, catchweight at 140 pounds. Oh. I think it was on behalf of Santos. Let's see. Yeah. No notes on tap all why that might be the Yeah, uh no reason given uh, via Damon Martin just the other day. Apparently there wasn't any any reason given, but the assumption is that somebody was struggling to hit uh 135. I would I don't know why. I guess my my first thought would be that it would be uh, Santos, just because. Castaneda. I mean, you could they surprise you, fighters, but he doesn't look do. like a guy who has to cut a lot. Yeah, and he's also been he's you know 30 at this point, and he's been trucking around for a decade now, and just doesn't seem like I don't know a fighter that I would expect to really but, struggle that way yeah um yeah who knows i don't know it's been happening more and more in the ufc as they make fights on shorter notice yeah um which is you know the case in other combat sports too like there's a sort of a golden era where it was just assumed that you would get a full eight-week camp if you were a ufc fighter mm-hmm. that just doesn't happen anymore no you're getting booked four weeks out six weeks out that's your camp Yep. Um, sometimes less. And yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a sad state of affairs that we get more catch weights, which just sort of, to me, says that like so many of these fighters are just not fighting in their natural weight class. Mm-hmm. They need an entire eight week camp to slowly get down to weight. Um, but on the other hand, I like that people are like, yeah, it's all right. You only have four weeks. Let's just do it. At catch weight. Yeah. I mean, if we're not going to fix weight cutting, we might as well do a little less <laughs> yeah. of it. Yeah, exactly. So it's a oh. it's a it's a pathetic band aid, but uh, you know, you gotta put something on an open wound. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this should be a very fun fight. I actually have a a pretty tricky time determining who's gonna win because, um, I think you could you could you could have a much worse opinion of Daniel Santos than he deserves based on that Julio Arce fight. Uh-huh. I mean, he it's just kind of like with Captain Eddie. You could have a much worse opinion of him than he deserves from that Nathaniel Wood fight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like these are two very high-level fighters. Yeah. Um, for, for Wood, because he has a certain level of craftiness and is then very quick and aggressive and confident and a good athlete. Mm-hmm. And for Arce, maybe not quite as good of an athlete, but very, very crafty. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, these guys just outfoxed. Uh, both of these fighters and then yeah you see them in a range of other fights you watch santos's other pre-ufc fights and he's he's not an idiot like yeah he's a dangerous powerful fighter he does rely on his aggression and power but he doesn't go out there and fight stupidly either it's just that arce made him look dumb yeah that's, that's he, what arce, arce had a level of defensive craft and yeah. mindfulness of how to stop uh santos's combinations every time he stepped forward that Santos had just probably never seen before. He hadn't, you know, there's not a lot of other fighters, on, especially on the regionals, that can do that. Yeah. 
He's not um, used to having somebody in front of him that would not just stay in front of him and accede to pressure or get tired of going backwards. Yeah. And honestly, it was even a new level of that for Arce. Yes. Yeah. Super duper comfortable. It's like he just took all the stuff he hoped would work against Song Yadong <laughs> and yeah. just made it made it work against somebody who was not Song Yadong. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I find this um, I find this fight actually pretty difficult to figure out because I think we have two solid, well-rounded fighters. It looks to me like uh, two solid, well-rounded strikers in particular. It looks to me like Santos is pretty clearly more powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but Castaneda is a like pace and will kind of fighter who has increasingly shown that. Like, I, I'm not 100% sure how Santos actually copes with somebody who strives to push him backwards. Yeah. And Castaneda is going to try to do that. He is going to get into the pocket. He's probably going to get dinged early. But I think he is inevitably going to try to force Santos onto the back foot and pressure him. And um, I don't know. I mean, there haven't been a lot of examples of people even trying to do that against Santos. I he's mean, such a... I think he, you know, he's one of those kind of wild man fighters where it doesn't matter what kind of fight you're bringing to him. He is going to try to push forward on you. Exactly. And he's going to meet you in the pocket. And that's why um, even like attempts that have been made in the past to push him back, don't read as attempts because yeah. you get in there and you're in trouble, mm-hmm. dangerous. And he throws heat. Um, and so pe- most people just probably very quickly decide, maybe I don't want to push this guy backwards. I don't want to stand in the pocket with him. Yeah. But Castaneda, I think, will. Um, and I think he'll probably get hurt early, but I don't think he's going to stop trying. And uh-huh. he is an inherently aggressive fighter. That, yeah, I mean, that, that could go one of two ways. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, man, it's, it's hard to tell because... Yeah, I think both of these men have a le- they have a level of craft to their game that is both more functional than the average uh regional fighter. You know, they have a they ha- they are used to having success and creating craft through being busy. You know, they're not the kind of fighter who is going to select the perfect counter every time or who is going to work behind a jab and like really sort of set up and build a game that works progressively better and better as the fight goes on. Yeah. It's it's, it's very much a thing of if they can start landing and they can start putting strikes together, they will very comfortably create a fast paced fight where they do well. Yeah. More, more good principles than specifically good tactics or good techniques. Yeah. And that makes it tough because, I mean, on the one hand, Daniel's, uh, uh, John Castaneda has, he's older. He fights like a little bit more of a vet. I think he's a little more considered in his craft and in his approach. He's a little more flexible. Mm-hmm. You see him, you know, I, I think he tries to bring the right approach to the right opponent more. You can why well, he's just more moldable. I think. I mean, yeah. you can you can see that in those two in their respective losses to just much better strikers. Uh, 
Castaneda was being worked over by Nathaniel Wood, he was like taking some moments to to try to draw out Wood's combinations and counter him, you know, yeah. and, and come back, you know, slip or roll under a shot or block and come back with a quick counter, like trying to let Wood overextend himself. Santos just kind of kept trying to pour it on. Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. Santos over, has over. a one of those fights where it just got worse and worse for him the longer it went on because he couldn't figure out what else to do. Yeah. And but the thing is, is that like it didn't really work for Castaneda at all with Wood. No. No. I was just yeah, you can see the effort, but they, you can they see both the effort. Out, they both got outclassed. They both got outclassed. And so if Castaneda come or if it, or if Santos just comes out and then he and he just pours it on Castaneda all the time, is Castaneda actually going to be crafty enough to take this fight back from him? You know, is he going to be deft enough to slip these strikes to get out of the way to stop the momentum from building against him? Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure. Like, I I agree with you. I'm really just not sure. I I can see the shape of the fight. I can see Santos is probably going to come out and he's He's going to be aggressive. He's going to try to push forward. He's going to be creative and try to set up big wild strikes. He's going to, you know, if this fight goes to the ground, he's going to be aggressive on the mat. He's just going to try to make this fight. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to do some sort of Brandon Royvolt stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen of, you know, you, you think about Brandon Royvolt fights, like Kai Kara France is a better, more considered fighter than Brandon Royvolt. And he's still lost. Yeah. You know? Like, it's just really hard to fight those kinds of people if you're not actually super deft as a striker, if you're not actually incredibly consistent at getting out of the way and breaking them down. I think I've talked myself into the Santos pick. I was going to pick Castaneda going in here just because he's the... Like, they've both been around a while, actually. You know, Mm -hmm. Castaneda is older uh by a few years and has way more experience but santos has been fighting since 2013 it's not like Mm -hmm. he hasn't had plenty of time to hone his game in the gym he's just not doing it as much in the cage um so i'm just i'm gonna take santos to just be more aggressive than castaneda and castaneda not to be quite adept and deft enough to turn his better his better flexibility into actually winning yeah i i think i might stick with castaneda that's that's totally I, that was what i was gonna do coming in sure yeah i just i do have concerns about the fact that um and this is you know in part this is too mma mathy because just despite all those years of experience there isn't a huge variety of fights to look at for santos no no um, he's a lot of him like painting on blank canvases, you know, and, but to, to compare again, those two fights they've now had where they were just outclassed by better strikers. Castaneda did make a far better effort. I mean, Santos he, he was an, it was an effort of sheer will. No, I mean, I think that, like and, I said, I think Castaneda is the more flexible, absolutely. the more crafty fighter out there. He can, he can, you know, he's more likely to hit takedowns. He's more likely to set up counters. I just don't know if he's actually so good at that that 
Yeah. He's just going to steal this fight. Yeah, but the thing is, Santos is Santos has no adjustments that I've seen no. so far. No. He's, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was an effort of of will that just didn't work at all. He had no mm-hmm. no new layers to bring into the game. He couldn't like extend the exchanges or set up counters, or he had no ability to adjust to somebody just outclassing him. And Castaneda tried lots of different things. And yeah. Um, and there is ultimately the fact that. When Castaneda ends up in trouble, he's going to do a bit of what Santos did. Again, he he, if he ends up trouble early, he's going to try to pressure and take the fight to you. Mm-hmm. And that's what Santos tried to do as well. But he's going to do it like while having learned from all the stuff you did to him that made him want to come forward. Like mm-hmm. he, he's he's a watchful, observant fighter. He is. Um, who will pick up on little openings? Who will change the order of punches in his combinations? who will throw in feints, will, he comes in anticipating certain things and having ideas on how to counter them and then how to build on those ideas. Yep. Santos is just not that kind of fighter. He's, He's just definitely much, not. much more of a meathead. Yep. And I agree all, all the way through. Yeah. So I like Castaneda meathead confidence without uh, meathead skill set. And unlike uh, Nathaniel Wood, Santos does not have the full breadth of skills that he can really threaten with either. Like, no, I, I think this is just going to be a war. and For sure. I think it has to be because Santos isn't yeah. going to back down and Castaneda, I think, does have to pressure him to beat him. Yep. And but so yeah. I, I'm picking with... Santos to, to get the momentum and keep it. But, yeah, it, it could easily just as just as easily be a win for, for Castaneda. Yeah. And likewise, I think, yeah, Santos will probably pick up good moments early, but um, I've seen that too many times against Castaneda now where he's come back and just become this relentless problem solver. That, I, w- I would much rather see, I mean, Castaneda is the kind of fighter I'm going to be rooting for. You know, for I, sure. I, yeah. I want to see Castaneda win because there's, there's a lot of fun, thoughtful craft in the game of somebody who is otherwise, you know, who like he's training out of Mankato martial arts in the Minnesota martial arts Academy and is, uh, you know, building a game that is not predicated on being a super athletic mm-hmm. and on, uh, you know, I, we all, we want to see the, like, okay athlete who really thinks about his fights a lot. When... Yeah, the guy who's striving to be good at MMA. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we want, Yeah. Yeah. He's trying to figure this silly sport out in some way. Yep. I want to see him win. Just not picking it. That's fine. Uh, Castaneda is the favorite here. Opened at minus 150, dropped to minus 217, currently up at minus 191. Santos opened at plus 130, jumped up to plus 175, and he's currently at plus 158. I think those odds should just be razor thin, frankly. Uh, that brings us to our final fight of the main card, a lightweight bout, Mike Davis, Vyacheslav Borshev, Borshev, or I think they keep saying it, Borshev, Borshev. We'll just call him Slava Claus. Slava Claus. And, um, this is going to be a really fun fight. Oh yeah, that's why they booked it. <laughs> yeah, this is an awesome booking and a super fun fight. It has no no meaning or relevance or anything. It is simply there to be entertaining and yeah. violent. Mike Davis is a dude that I wish I don't know what his deal is. 
But I, A, I'm really glad he stopped trying to become a featherweight. He's six feet tall. Mm -hmm. He is solid muscle. And there is no part of his game that is going to work better at 145 pounds. Yeah. He's not a wrestler. Yeah. He's not a controlling grappler. He is a boxer. And he's more is he out there at lightweight just getting out wrestled like no the 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 loss to Gilbert Burns seems to have been some part of what made him think he had to go to featherweight but it's Gilbert Burns and you're then moved up to welterweight yeah it's Gilbert Burns and you were seven and one like how about get some time in at lightweight to to work on your skills and don't worry about being huge yeah don't worry about being huge and two like one of his biggest problems is his gas tank. Yeah. Like, dropping weight is not going to do you any favors. Absolutely not. So, and also, his gas tank isn't even that bad. Like, we've seen no. that when he when push comes to shove and he just has to keep going, he can do it. He, he's one of those fighters who gets really tired but keeps their power all the time. Yeah. They're tired. He reminds yeah. in that way, he's like, you know, like Devin Clark. You know, yeah. where every Devin Clark fight, you're like, man, he's so he gets really tired. Uh-huh. And then still in like the last round, he's just out there going after everything with every ounce of energy. Yeah. Yes. And on that note, like I, I do have a theory on what Mike Davis's problem is. Yeah. He needs more experience. Yes. He's 29 and he had his first pro fight in 2015. Yeah. But he's only nine and two. Yep. And he's, and he's, he's comported himself really well against guys who are way better than what he realistically should be fighting with 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 this few fights under his belt. But he's he's powerful. He's reasonably crafty and well schooled uh, as a striker. He's not altogether like simple to out wrestle or out maneuver. Like he's very solid. But it's like yeah, all these little things. Like he doesn't. He, he does have these moments where he'll like freak out because he's getting tired because he hasn't had enough time to learn yeah. that like that just happens. Yeah. Every time it's intense fighting and you're nervous and you're throwing you're trying to take someone's head off and they're hitting you and there's a bunch of shit to react to. You just have to learn to be comfortable being tired. Yep. Um, and again, I think when you put him in a situation like that Mason Jones fight where he just has no choice but to fight tired. Yep. He actually does like he, he should be he should look at that fight and say, I've proven to myself, this isn't a big deal. Like I can still fight very effectively when I'm tired. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just one of those things that sort of just points to, he he just needs more experience. He should be at this point in his career, he should be like trying to rack up three fights a year Mm -hmm. uh, or more. And um, he's still nine and three, nine and two, whatever. So that, makes this fight against uh Borshov fascinating. Yeah. Because Slavoklaus is very much um I mean he's also a dude that just needs a lot more experience. Yeah. Has been he, fighting he has already shown some rapid improvement. He's already shown some rapid improvement. And uh but he fights his problems in with a lack of experience seem to be problems of just not knowing how all the technical parts of the game. Mm-hmm. 
like thinking that he, you know, going out there and getting taken down by Dakota Bush right away and then being able to sweep and get back to his feet and being like, okay, well, you know, I'm a team alpha male guy. I've done some wrestling and all that. I think I know what, how to fight my way through these positions at this point. And then going out there against Mark D. Kesse and just getting absolutely ground into the mat all the way through. Like, there's just a lot of positions that he hasn't been put in and kept in. He hasn't faced all of the obstacles he needs to face in a career. Maybe he uh, talked to the commentators before that Jacasey fight, because they were <laughs> certainly surprised by all the wrestling. Right. Uh, I don't understand. But anyway, um, but his prop none of none of I would say he doesn't have any of Mike Davis's like Mike Davis has baggage around the way he fights, you know? Every single thing he does is big power. He gets tired real fast. And then there's a lot, like, there is there can be huge waves of success that are still then mixed with seeming absolute panic when an opponent can push back at him. Or just, frust, you know, I don't know, like, Mike Davis, everything, he, all the success he has seems to come with an equal an equal portion of danger. You know? Like he's just trying to fight to get his opponent out of there as fast as possible. And when they don't, he can still fight well when he's tired. But he gets clipped a lot more than he should for how much better a striker he is than his opponents. And he gets frustrated by striking exchanges a lot more than he should for somebody who has the power and who wants to strike, you know? Yeah. Whereas with uh, Borshov, he, like, he got frustrated being outgrappled. Mm-hmm. He got tired of that fight and tired of the, the fight his opponent was bringing to him there. But his striking game seems much calmer. Yeah. He much more it. patient. He loves every second of striking. Yeah. Even when he's getting hit, he's like, Oh, good. Yeah. Challenge. How do, what am I going to do about this? Exactly. This is an opportunity. He throws a lot of off speed strikes to set up his powerful strikes. Yep. He is very comfortable in the pocket, weaving around and staying there and trying to extend combinations against opponents Mm -hmm. in a way that like Davis is much more like I threw three big power strikes and now I need to get out of here. Or now I'm going to watch and see what happened to you because of how hard I hit you. And, oh, wait, you hit me? What the hell is this? Um, I'm going to pick Borshov here. I think Davis hits harder, and I think this will be an absolute banger. But Borshov is just more comfortable in the kind of fight that both of them want to have. Yeah. So I feel like even though Davis can be dangerous over all the rounds... Yeah, it kind of says something to just how brutal Mike Davis's fights have had to be to, for him to get wins. Yeah. You know, like, he he doesn't, he has these quick, he has these big power combos, but he wants, he's constantly clawing himself back. Like, I think there's a, the hesitation for him there, of like, knowing that he gets tired of worrying about that and worrying that he shouldn't try to 
just get in there and trade with somebody because he's going to get hit and overthinking things a little in the cage. And that's not there for Borshov. I think that, that Borshov can just go in and he's going to wait in and he's going to, if, if Davis tries to take his foot off the gas at all, even if he hits Borshov much harder, then Borshov will be right there pressuring him yeah. and throwing short punches and just keeping a little pitter-patter on Davis that gets Davis more and more frustrated, more and more exhausted, and more and more panicked. You so. know who? You know who Davis reminds you of? Um, mm. Who's the Who's the the muscliest Tiger Shulman fighter? What's his name? Oh, um, Jimmy the, Rivera. No, no. He the guy who fought Zaleski dos Santos and told his corner he was scared of getting KO'd. Oh God, yeah. Um, Damn it! Oh, what is? I don't know why name? I'm blanking on this name. Uh, it's, it's a it's a weird name too. Um, he used to be a Bellator champ. Yeah, um, a solid fighter like Mike yeah. Davis. Yeah, uh, Lyman Good. Lyman Good, that's right. He reminds me of Lyman Good. Yeah. Another fighter who, yeah, you you look at him in any single exchange, and you're like, wow, this guy's a powerful, tight puncher. Mm-hmm. These are great combinations he's throwing. Everything is like by the book. Yeah. Um, and there's just this little like he's got the he's got the style and the mechanics of a super competent puncher, but how confident is he really? Yeah. And I think for both of them, there is some concern with getting tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and having to kind of regulate their pace and giving the opponent opportunities because of that. Yep. And possibly also, yeah, concerns with just like getting slept. Like uh-huh. th- these are guys who um, would look like absolute champions if they could just bully all of their opponents, but they can't yep. fight people who push back and don't do everything correctly, but they're just tough and scrappy and, and turn the fights into a war. And so these guys both have a lot of wars, have a lot of difficult protracted fights where they just keep, there's this feeling that they both constantly get surprised by like the tenacity of their opponent. Uh-huh. They're not just wilting and going away. And um, that does feel like a recipe for losing to Borshev. Yeah. Um, even if I think Davis is going to have lots of moments. I mean, I'm particularly concerned with the fact that, yeah, Borshev is he's still learning to wrestle and grapple. And despite what happened in the Jacquesi fight, I thought, I mean, even in that fight, he showed some of his improvements. Yeah. Um, he just, you know, it was just too much to deal with for three rounds when that was all Jacquesi really wanted to do. But, yeah. uh, you know, previously against Dakota Bush, like, yeah, he got taken down. and But he also showed a much greater sort of understanding of how and why to scramble. Yep. Um, and of the the urgency of getting back to his feet. So he he is developing and gaining experience. More concerning is the fact that I think he he has his own vulnerabilities on the feet. Like oh yeah, he, he think, likes to trade in the pocket enough, and he likes to extend combinations about enough yeah. that there is going to be stuff he does not see coming that he's going to get hit with. Yeah, and in particular, Mike Davis, he doesn't lean on it a lot, but he's actually a really um, solid low kicker. Mm-hmm. And this is something that Borshev has been susceptible to in many. Uh, I mean, I say many. The guys only had like yeah. seven, seven fights, but more it than is once. a problem. Uh, he wants to plant his feet, and he puts all of his weight in his front foot. He wants to load up and fire a big left hook, and yeah, you just jab him and low kick him. Um, so there are ways for Davis to deal with it, but it is the tenacity of Borshev. 
Yeah. That those things are problems for him because he doesn't care about having problems. Yeah. He, he wants to go in there and create what look like 50-50 exchanges and rely on his craftiness and his confidence to end up winning more of those exchanges than he loses. Mm-hmm. Which is why he'll walk in on like Dakota Bush and be like, oh, you're throwing punches. Your liver's open. Bang. And just finishes him. He's in there uh, looking for openings in the danger zone. Yep. Um, and I don't think that's Mike Davis. He has to be dragged into the danger zone most of the time. Yeah. So I think there's definitely a there are multiple pathways for Davis to win here. And Davis is one of those fighters where he's taken sort of the, the the slow train to improvement and maybe he um maybe he does turn that corner someday or maybe he just gets better by small degrees but he's not getting enough fights i don't think yeah um for that to really happen the way it often does like he's not randy brown who's like <laughs> still full of problems but you can definitely track his improvement and did he get drastically better the way you think a hot prospect should no but he, he took the Ryan Bader way mm-hmm. and you can't deny that Randy Brown today is a better fighter than Randy Brown who debuted. Yeah. Um, Mike Davis is still, I think the same guy, which is a solid fighter, but with a lot to learn that he's not really giving himself the chance to learn. So I yeah. will take Borschev for being basically like a crazy little Wolverine mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Davis, um, uh, Davis being, being too open to deal with that. Like just a slightly more, considered mason jones yeah basically yep and just somebody who can match davis for technique in the pocket you know somebody where davis isn't gonna be the slicker guy out there he might every time they trade he might be getting met with just as good a punch as he's throwing exactly and that's a big part of what davis depends on is like oh i you're we're both gonna get hit here but i'm gonna hit you cleaner yeah and Borshov doesn't depend on that. He's like, oh, you're, we're going to get hit. You're going to, I'm going to get hit here. I'm going to hit you with four more shots and I'm going to target the right spot. Exactly. Yeah. Ma- Mason, Mason Jones is a, is a real pace fighter. Yeah. And not much else. Mm-hmm. And uh, Borshev is actually crafty. Yep. Dave is open at minus 250. He's up at minus 182 now. That's, I'm a little surprised. Poor show is uh, opened uh, at plus 210 and is currently down at plus 150. All right, that wraps us up for the main card. You can find me on Twitter at TheZaneSam. You can find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at BloodyOver.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on Bloody Over Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. As always, the MMA Bib section is brought to you by Chris Reedy and his book, The Fine Art of Violence, which you can find over at his website, ChrisReedy.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I. Thanks everyone for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, 
exclusive fighter interviews, show money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not The Face podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>